Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you recently handled a case where one brother was suing his two brothers, your clients. What happened? Well, Dennis, the two brothers struggled but succeeded to build three restaurants. But when the third brother returned from being out of the country for 20 years, he sued to get one-third of their business. He claimed an oral deal between them because he had once worked as a cook for them. So what did you do? Well, during trial, we got him to acknowledge certain key dates and to his complete lack of documentation. So when his side rested, we asked the court for what's called a directed verdict, a motion that gets rid of a case after fatal facts come out during trial. And the court agreed, shooting down all but one of the brothers' causes of action. And we settled that one for a very small amount and excused the jury. And justice was done. My friends, you know that I trust Barack Lurie with my own business and other legalities. So to make sure a deal is done right, call him for your own legal issues at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Park, 866-575-8111. This is the Barack Lurie Podcast. With me, as always, my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. Um, we, we have a lot of things going on, and we realized that there was something so emblematic uh, of the times, and to some extent, the, uh, the times as they reflect liberalism and what liberalism is all about. All right. Now, say you're a liberal, um, and many of our listeners are indeed liberals, uh, you have the impression that you only want good things for society. You're somebody that cares for the poor, for the hungry, for the, for the minorities out there, for the elderly, and so on. So you, you're with me so far. Um, you, therefore, believe that government has these great answers, and the answers include um, Social Security, uh, welfare, food stamps, um, you know, and, and, and you'll convince yourself that these are all great things because, you know, you need a net. You need a social net. Okay. Safety. Well, safety. Safety net. That's right. A safety net. And, you know, that's the, it begs the question, okay, well, what does that safety net look like? If the safety net is not, in fact, a net, but it's more like a trampoline that you can, you know, jump above everyone else um, and, and keep you above everyone else, maybe that's not such a great idea. So you get this impression, you know, because it's their term, not ours, safety net, um, that, you know, they're, on, they're somehow taking risks out there on a trapeze thing, right? And if they stumble, well, by golly, there's a safety net below to ensure that they don't actually break every bone in their body and they can move on with their lives. Okay. Putting aside what, what it means to, to fail in society, right? Does it... Does a safety net mean that you're, you're not allowed to fail at all? Because, look, if the guy on the trapeze on the tightrope, he falls, okay, he's not going to die, right? But that's, that's not the same thing in business. If you, if you don't succeed in business, your business closes. So what is your idea of a safety net? Does it mean that the government has to step in and make sure that your business continues? What is that? Because that's really the equivalent when you're talking about the trapeze artist analogy. So, and, and nobody's ever seems to, de- to define what safety net means. Now, if it means that it actually prevents you from death, I'm all for a safety net, okay? 
But we have that. That's clearly a safety net. If, if you get uh, maimed in an accident uh, and you go to a hospital and you don't have enough money or any money to pay for the uh, medical care that you need, well, you're still going to be able to get the medical care that you need, and you may be built for it, you may not be able to pay for it, but you'll get the, the stuff. So you, you're going to be fine from your health point of view. So that's not really the issue. The issue is a financial one. So then you think, well, wait a minute. If you really do get behind the times and you lose your job, there's bankruptcy. Now, bankruptcy is definitely a safety net. There's, there's, there's no two. That's a financial safety net if you've ever heard of one because it basically wipes out all your debt so long as it's innocent debt, what we call innocent debt. You can't be fraudulent in, your, in the acquiring of your debt. Um, and, uh, and then you're forgiven. You may have to pay a little bit, of, uh, a little bit uh, to your creditors in the future, but even then it's, it's based upon what the judge determines you can afford and cannot afford. So there's a lot of discretion there. You're going to do just fine if you file for bankruptcy. Yeah, it'll show up in your credit and such, but you won't be out in the streets. So there's, there's your safety net, financially speaking. Now, what if you, what if you uh, get fired from your job and it's, it's a bad time? Okay, but well, we have unemployment insurance, right? And you get the benefits there. Is that not a safety net, right? <laughs> I mean, and then, and then you've got... Um, and then you've got, uh, now they're talking about minimum wage increases and such, but not, not that that should be a safety net. But even on, using their own language, they have a safety net involved, right? That you only get so much. If they actually believe what they're saying. We, we actually argue that you actually create more uncertainty and that it's less safe for the population at large when you have a minimum wage. But let's just buy their argument for the sake of discussion right now. If you have a minimum wage... And now suddenly everyone is making that same minimum wage and nobody's lost any jobs as a result. They would, but let's pretend that they don't. Then wouldn't you say that that is, in a sense, an additional safety net, right? And then, in addition, you can't be fired for just because they don't like your, your, your face for some reason. Yeah, and, you know, there's a safety net there, too. You have to explain. You have to give cause why you're firing the person. And if, if you're... And even more cause if, he, if the person happens to be black or a minority or over 40 years old or anything, any one of the protected classes. So th there's a safety net again. And yet, and yet, they want more and more of a safety net. It just doesn't stop. And what is that safety net that they want now even more of? They want food stamps galore. They want welfare all over the place. And it's like they forgot everything that, that led up to this great moment in history, and they never ask the question, well, was it so unsafe for everyone before, let's say, 1980, 1990? How, how horrible was it in the United States that we need, we have the, all this talk of a safety net that is somehow sorely lacking in, in these horrible United States? Tell me. I, I just never, I never understood it. I never understood it. But they'll talk about it, and, and safety net is, is their term, not ours. Um, and they talk about it as if it's, it's utterly lacking. And we need to throw the safety net right now before horrible things are going to happen. Anyway, uh, and this relates, it kind of dovetails a little bit into what we were talking about, Ari and I, uh, offline. And, uh, and by the way, I wanted to commend a particular uh, podcast to you, which is on uh, the Ari David Show. Um, yeah, Ari was kind enough to have me as a guest 
on his uh, recent show, uh, and it was really at my insistence, not, not that, I'm be on, that I be on the show, but the topic was at my insistence, and that was Ari's year zero theory. Um, and this is the notion that the, the liberal world constantly pretends as if there was no history before it, and they always start as if somehow this is the first year of existence for everybody. And, uh, and, and that nothing has ever been tried before, and this is the first time they're trying it, and they know better than everyone else in, in history, and so on. And I really commend it. It's such a, a brilliant um, episode that Ari uh, conveyed. I, I wish I'd thought about the years With ago. With your help. Well, thank you very much. You but, being the driving force. Right. <laughs> well, I plan to plagiarize your uh, year zero theory quite a bit, although I will give you credit always. Uh, but I, just, I love it because it's so succinct to the point. Um, anyway, offline, we, we were talking about um, this latest thing that was emblematic. We were talking about, you know, things that are emblematic of liberalism. And uh, one of them was the safety net notion. Uh, they, they think very highly of themselves. And that they're out there to protect the, the poor and, and we're the ones who are not focusing on, on what's right. Um, we're focusing on money, money, money. And me, uh, me, 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 and damn the uh, the minorities, and uh, and damn the earth for that matter, right? The the, the environment. It, it's what a what a facile way of looking at the world. It, it it must make you feel so good as a liberal to think in those terms. That's the amazing thing, right? You, no wonder they hate us. They they created this obscene scenario, this caricature of us, and they say, I hate you. Why don't I say that we're baby killers at the same time? Right? Why not go all the way? If there was, if, and I'm further against yeah. baby killing. Why are you for baby killing, Ari David? Yeah. Why? And you remember those horrible turn of the century racist caricatures of like black people, the step and fetch it kind of right. Caricature? I remember. Yeah. It's the equivalent of that, but about conservatives. Conservatives want dirty air, dirty water. They hate women, yet they want to rape women, but they hate women. But they don't want them to get the abortions, right. and they don't want them to get their birth control, but they hate them, and they won't employ them. But when they do employ them, they're cheap about it. That's <laughs> you right, know? Right. Yeah, well, that's, that's, I mean, this is, it's a, such a facile world, and, and, and they're very smug about it. They just, I'm a great person because I believe in being nice to everyone and, and sharing the wealth. Share, yeah, sharing your wealth, but not necessarily my wealth, but, but I still think that's really nice, and I'm so good because of that. It's, it, my beliefs are so, so strong, don't you know? Anyway, so how did they get to this position where they, they, have, belie- they have so much faith in government, right? That's, the, that's really one of the litmus tests of what makes a liberal versus a conservative. We have very little faith in, in government. Um, in fact, almost no faith in government. Not that we're that cynical, uh, but we, we do believe that government is necessary to some extent, but very limited, very limited, and even in those roles where they do uh, provide services, such as the military, they're still incompetent, right? But we still have to have it. Uh, just look at the roads. To the extent that government is responsible for the roads, look how terrible they are. Look at look how terrible the school system is, although we don't think that the government should be involved in the school system. But you get the idea. All the things that are necessary uh, that the government must do, no matter what they touch, they're always inefficient at the very best. Okay. Um, but they still. But why do they? Why do the liberals have such faith in government? And it finally dawned on me. Because government has a big microphone in front of it. That's why. 
What do I mean? I mean, uh, they get to say uh, as one voice, we should do X. We should do Y. We need to have a program where, um, you know, the, the Homeland Security, uh, you know, the whole division to protect the country. We need a Department of Education because it sounds nice. You know, there's, it's a big microphone. These senators and, and the president will talk about these new programs and great ideas that they have. And, and you, if you didn't know better, you would, you would be led to believe that but for these uh, great organizing governmental entities, the, we'd all be uh, you know, running amok, all wildly out of control. And by contrast, the, the, we know that the correct answer is private industry. Private industry will always get, do the job much better. You know, the, the invisible hand and all those wonderful things. But what, what is lacking is a microphone. You know, it, it's not as if you, you can get a bunch of private companies to get together and say, all right, now we'll uh, give Bob Smith the microphone and he's going to speak for all private industry. Right? You don't, you don't hear uh, Bob Smith, the head of private industry in America, now is now about to speak and talk about private industry's plans for alleviating poverty. Right? You don't hear that. <laughs> it's just, but it's there. And it, it does a far more effective job. But, and likewise with the churches, right? The churches and the synagogues. They do a far better job of charity and making sure that resources are uh, served uh, and used wisely. And there's, there, there's a lot less corruption and everything else than anything the government could ever do. But you never hear it from the churches and the synagogues and the mosques, for that matter. You don't hear about all this great charitable work that they do because they don't have a microphone in front of them. Who speaks on behalf of them? But there's all these millions and millions of voices. Likewise with all the small and medium-sized businesses. You know, we're, we're out there hustling and making business and providing products and services and making, making the commerce flow. That's what we do. That's our job, ultimately. We're, we're small parts of it, but that's what we do. But, but no one gives us a, a voice. So all we have left to do is, is to say, we, we have our votes, yes. And as a small businessman and, and, and uh, as a Jew and otherwise, I, I vote you know, against the enlargement of government. That, but that's all we can do. It's because they have a microphone, Ari. That's why. And we, the rest of the nation, the private industry, the, and for that matter, the churches and the synagogues and the clergy, they don't have a microphone. And so from a salience point of view, meaning you, you only, your eyes only focus on what you can see, you think that government is, all, is always the answer. And when, when you and I are screaming till, till our faces are blue and we say the private industry is much better, that doesn't resonate with a liberal because all they're hearing is what the government is telling them. Yeah, I, but, the, but, they, but they have the answer. Why would you take away that program? Uh, if you take away that program, everyone's going to die. What, you want to you you curtail food stamps, Barack? Don't you know everyone's going to die? Uh, it, it, this is the way they think. There's also another thing that, that I, I think you've brought up sort of by proxy, which is an interesting uh, adjunct to us. You didn't go into business to alleviate poverty. I've talked to you about why you became a lawyer, and it's because you have a love of justice. Right. I didn't go into business to alleviate poverty. Well, maybe my own, but not poverty globally. Right. I went into this business because I have a talent and an aptitude for it. Right. Businesses alleviate pro poverty 
just by doing other things. Government programs that exist to eliminate poverty can use that bully microphone you talked about to say, I exist to eliminate poverty, so that the liberals who have a problem with business will constantly point to business and say, well, you're not eliminating poverty. You weren't created to eliminate poverty. You were created to maximize shareholder value or pursue justice or because you have a social media talent or whatever it is. That's right. You got and it. So we're always <clears throat> at a, if you will, diplomatic disadvantage in selling our social benefit. Right. Never. Because we don't exist to eliminate poverty, even though we do it better than entities in business to eliminate poverty. Right. If they called capitalism... Um, uh, poverty they, elimination. Po- po- yeah, po- poverty <laughs> elimination, that, that might do the trick. I don't know. Well, because it certainly would be job creationism, right? We could certainly call it that, and then it would, it would kind of hint at poverty reduction. But, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It, capitalism, it, it, the, allevi- the alleviation of poverty is what happens on the way to uh, greater growth, right? That, that's, that's what happens. That's the nature of, of, uh, of, of uh, capitalism. It, it's like uh, you know, gardening, where you know, if you tend to your garden, you know, you know I always like using the gardening reference because it applies to so many things in life. If you tend to your garden and weed out the garden and think about putting the right kind of flowers and maybe fruit plants or vegetables for that matter, you'll not only create uh, beauty for yourself and maybe even fruits and vegetables for yourself. But in the process, you, you'll also clean the place of rodents and uh, other, you know, infesting bugs and such like that. It'll be good for the neighborhood as well. Um, so you get not only a productive place, but also a cleaner place in the process. So organization leads to, to health and everything else. And that's the way capitalism is. The, the more, we, more growth we have, the more it cleans out the evils of poverty and crime, right? Because it's just not productive to do so. I think this is so basic. But this is not what the liberals want you to believe. They want you to believe that they are the only answer to everything. They think of you as a simpleton. They think of you as somebody that could be affected by the shortest of sound bites possible. War on women, for example, right? I would never say a phrase similar to war and woman or uh, trickle-down economics unless I had something to back it up. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. And, and on my radio show, on this podcast, uh, I would say rarely, if ever, have we made a grandiose statement and not been able to back it up. That's, that's just not what we do. And, and in fact, if, if we do make a grandiose statement and we can't back it up, we have failed you. Because it's not, first of all, it's not fun um, to do that. Um, so I won't say a lot of things. I won't say, like, all liberals are stupid. I, I can't say that. A lot of them are very bright. I won't say that all liberals are Pollyannish. No. Um, I will say, on the other hand, that not a single liberal program has succeeded that, that Republicans have opposed or conservatives have opposed. Mm-hmm. Not a single one. Okay? And, uh, and the reason why I can say that is I can back it up. And not only can I back it up, by, by listing every single so, uh, social or liberal program I can think of and noted how much it's failed, not just failed, but backfired, to the point that we can call liberal, the liberal party the, the party of irony, because it does exactly the opposite of what it seeks to achieve in almost every single policy that it advances. 
with its minimum wage, affirmative action, high taxes, high regulation, environmentalism, you name it, it does exactly the opposite of what it seeks to, what it claims to seek to achieve. I can back that up. And I can back it up so well that I can even put out a challenge to all my listeners on, when I'm on live radio uh, to that very effect. Tell me a liberal program that the conservatives have opposed that you claim works and works well. Not, not that exists, right? There's a difference between existing and working. So Social Security, for example, it exists, but it's not a working program. It's a failure. You have to, that, that's what I'm talking about. Not that it exists, that it works. And, uh, but but the, the liberal camp feels free to say these crazy expressions, whether it's war on women or um, that we don't care about the plight of, of minorities or the, the difference between um, the Republicans and Democrats is that Democrats care if, if children go hungry at night. Remember that famous Howard Dean expression, uh, or his statement. Um, and... And the latest is that they, they believe this so much that they are so stupid that you'll imbibe this nonsense. And this is emblematic of all liberalism, all of it. This, and, and I mean this sincerely. I, I can, this I really can back up. You and I can back it up, no problem. Because liberalism assumes that you're an idiot. It, it, it assumes that you're a child. Maybe, how about that? Help us. Yeah, help, help us. Child. You know, a six-year-old will nod his head as you tell him, wouldn't it be nice if everyone got, you know, a certain amount of money per hour so that he could feed his family? You know, and they're nodding their head. Yeah. And, and it seems so patently fair to the, to the child. But, of course, the child doesn't know better. You know, you can't blame him. And um, and this came out recently with um, what's his name the the guy from the the healthcare um, Jonathan Gruber Gruber yeah Gruber he he was the architect of, of uh, Obamacare and I don't know and why Romney Care yeah yeah I don't know why he came out and said it as he did what prompted him to say it maybe it was just a gaffe uh, but he basically said you know uh, we knew that we had to kind of BS uh, all of the American public because the American public frankly are stupid. He said it in, in more elliptical terms than that, but he basically said, you know, the American public are idiots, and uh, we need to treat them as such, and this is what they'll imbibe, and, and we'll deal with uh, the specifics later. This, is, this was his attitude, and it's come out. Um, this, this is, it's, it's, I would say it's frightening, but it's not frightening. This is very par for the it's course. It's more pathetic yeah. than anything else. Well, how about this? It's revealing. Okay, no. You know, he made it transparent what we already knew to be the truth. He simply, you know, it's like it's like uh, when uh, uh, a thief steals money and um, and he simply he simply cops to it and he says, "Yeah, I stole the money." Okay, well, he's telling us what we already knew. Okay, we were about to go to trial, but now he's admitting his guilt. Thank you. Done. Okay, but this is we knew that Obamacare was trying to deceive us. We caught them in many lies. And then Gruber himself is saying, yeah, we, we thought you guys were idiots. And, uh, and that's what allowed us to advance this moronic thing called Obamacare, which is, of course, an ultimate fa- another example of one of the many liberal policies that fail, that always fail, not sometimes, always. They can never succeed. And, and, and we've already explained on this show and otherwise why they must always fail. Let me repeat, they must always fail. 
because there is no accountability, because there's too much opportunity, and because government can never know what the supply and demand is of any particular industry, and they can never know better than industry um, how to respond to what the market dictates. Okay? They'll never know. So th those systems are just totally in, in place that it'll never work. That, that's the way. It's, it's like looking at a, a, kid, a very short kid and uh, realizing, uh, or actually it doesn't have to be a kid. It could be uh, somebody who's 25 years old. He's a, he's a very short man. And say, listen, you'll never be a basketball player. Okay? Not a professional basketball player. Just, it ain't going to happen. Okay? And, and by the way, you're missing a leg. Okay? It's just not going to happen. Um, and, and that's the way it is with government. It'll never be efficient. Do, do, do you understand that, my, my liberal friends? It'll never, repeat, never be efficient. There's nothing that the government can do better than private industry. Nothing. And, and I'm even saying that to some extent with the military and uh, the police. And you know, the only thing is that my little brain can't think of a, a private sector substitute uh, program that would, would do a better job than the military. I just can't think of it right now. That doesn't mean that it's not possible. But I'm still allowing for that limited government, right? So that's the way it is. So Gruber exposes exactly what it's like. And then we think to ourselves, you know what? He's, he's no different than Vladimir Lenin during the days of communism, right? Vladimir Lenin, he, he laughed his way all the way to the, to the power bank. He, he referred to anyone who joined his forces as useful idiots, particularly the, the Americans who thought that what communism was offering was so glorious and perfect and lovely and wondrous. And uh, he, had, he had just had contempt for them. What a bunch of morons. But they gave him the power that he was craving because he sold them a bill of goods, uh, telling them how great and glorious it would be. He was just a con man, Lenin. And, and so it is with all liberal programs. So it is. It'll never change. And they must think that you're stupid along the way. I, I, and and this, is, this is a, a truly major difference. And my liberal listeners, you know, you may choose to get offended by this, but you shouldn't because I'm not talking about you being stupid. I'm talking about the people who think that you are stupid. We don't think you're stupid, but your liberal friends in power, they think you're stupid. They think that they can give you quick little buzz phrases and everything will work out just great and you'll imbibe into the nonsense. For example, I mean, Ari, you're welcome to join in about other examples, but I can think of one right now where when Obama said that uh, under his new program, 98% uh, of the people will, will pay less in taxes. Do you remember that? And that sounded great. No big deal. It, it, it'll, be, it'll be wonderful. And I remember many of my liberal friends saying, sounds great. Right? But it begged the question, well, how is this going to work out? And the 2% that you're talking about, those are really the engine drivers of the economy. And that might you know, really hurt everyone, the entire economy. But nobody listens to that. Um, and then they tell you that the economy is doing swell. Just swell, don't you know? Uh, okay, how so? Right? I mean, again, they, they just think by saying it that you'll imbibe it and, you, and then you'll repeat their mantra. Like, like they're, they're giving you the talking points. Go out. 
soldier and say the same phrases that I just said. Yeah, you know what's so interesting about the economy argument that yeah. you just made? The one they point to over and over again is the uh, way the stock market has been oh, doing yeah. well. But you and I both know perfectly well, clear as a bell, if the stock market was doing this well, with the rest of the economy stagnating this poorly, with a Republican in charge, the media and the culture would point to the success of the stock market as, as evidence of white man's greed and the world in need. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Right. Well, I mean, you're pointing out uh, hypocrisy and, and alternative universes, and, and you're absolutely right about that. But I'm, I'm, I just really want to get to the brass knuckles. Like war and woman is another ex example, yeah. right? They, they throw out the phrase war and woman, and, uh, and then you're just supposed to imbibe it and, and, and go out there, go forth, and, and, and say the same talking points. And there was another point that they wanted to raise out there, um, talking, I guess, yeah, global you know, climate deniers and such. They expect you just to believe it and to go out there and, and, uh, and, and you know, be all the chicken littles, you know, become a chicken little and say the sky's falling, the sky's falling without any backup. Yeah, and you know it's interesting. There's no backup to it. I, I can actually prove the statement you made about how liberals consider their loyalists stupid and we conservatives do not think our political adversaries yeah, please, liberals tell are me. stupid. Here's the proof. The conversation we're having. Yeah. If we considered liberals stupid and thus worthless to engage with, worthless to make these arguments with, we wouldn't have a microphone on and we wouldn't be recording things like this. We would just talk about it in the privacy of our own home and we'd roll our eyes and say, wouldn't it be nice if dot, right. dot, dot. Right. But instead, we have enough respect for those who don't yet see things our way mm -hmm. to keep trying, to keep bringing intelligent, informed cogent arguments to yeah. them through mediums like this so that one day they're able to listen to these recordings and have a breakthrough and go, you know what? They're right. I wasn't seeing the whole picture. Yeah. Barack and Ari helped me see this right. by, because they had enough respect for me to speak about these things intelligently and with integrity. The way you were saying, right. I don't make uh, wild statements without having wild uh, evidence to back it up. Right. And, and, and my dear liberal listener, I, you know, we say it with love because we know that you want to be engaged, but perhaps you're too busy in your life or, you know, you've made the association game. We, we, we had that podcast, Liberal by Association, which I think a lot of people really liked. And, and it was about this association thing. And you're, you're so reluctant to, to pull the Republican lever, as it were, because it, you, you, you want to throw up as you do it. But you have to ask yourself the question, why? Why, why are you so distasteful to it? What, what, is it because, uh, uh, you know, why? Shouldn't it be the only question, what works? What is, what is a reasonable approach to solving X problem? And, and even if it's not a question of resolving X problem, how about just asking, is, is voting for this law or voting for this person going to advance policies that don't, that don't work? You have to ask those questions all the time. And instead, what you're doing is you're simply, you're, you're, you're making this association like you can't fathom a world. You know, it's like, you know for many people, it's, it's changing loyalties from the 49ers to the Patriots. Yeah, but there's, there's no logic to that. There's, there's nothing to that. And um, you just really have to focus on this. Focus on what works and what's reasonable. And now, now they'll, they'll say in response, I suppose, well, you know, Barack and Ari, we could easily have a, a similar talk show or a podcast and say, 
you know, you conservative friends, I, we welcome you to the liberal side and, uh, you know, understand that, that uh, you know, we need to be forces for good and the government is doing that and don't you see this program is going to be good and you're cutting these programs and such. Well, we, we address those things, don't we, Ari? We, we, we know what their arguments are and we say why their arguments actually falter, why they must fail and why they always do fail. We, we show it time and time again. And there will never be a challenge, not, not a legitimate one uh, that we couldn't answer, from a liberal saying something similar to what I, my challenge is, which is show me a liberal program that has succeeded. Uh, because I can show them conservative programs, conservative concepts that have always succeeded. In fact, conservatism itself has always succeeded. There has never been a failure in conservatism. How about that? Conservatism naturally works. And, and the proof is in the pudding about what you just said, which is so fascinating, because there are myriad liberal programs out there, not government programs, but entertainment, infotainment, you know, informational media out there. And in almost none of them do they ever have a tone of dispassionate observation and just sharing information without being mean-spirited and attacking Republicans and conservatives personally. The way you were talking about earlier in this episode, you hit on something that was so important, which is you don't attack the liberal individual. Right. You attack the liberal philosophy and the liberal government program that has caused damage because it has caused damage. Right. We Ooh, don't have point. any yeah. animus towards the individual liberals except that we think that they're thinking wrong and we'd like them to learn what we've learned and maybe yes. they'll think better. Good point. But when they, just to finish the thought, yeah, yeah. but when they, in every, when you put on MSNBC the other day, the Roman and Pharaoh show where he had Mr. Jonathan Gruber on justifying the nastiness he explained in those symposia, the venom coming out of that show towards conservatives for daring to, to point out, how dare you call Americans stupid while, you, while, you're, prop, while you're promulgating these policies upon right. us? Right. So, so here, my, my dear liberal listener, if, if you're out there, and I know you are, um, ask yourself the question, are you animated by attacking individuals or by attacking the notion of conservatism itself? My guess is that if you actually thought about it, most of your animus against conservatism is really an animus, is, is attacks against individuals themselves. You are busy focusing on word choices or tone or body language of Ann Coulter, for example. Or Bush or Karl Rove. Or Bush, Karl Rove, somebody who trips up. And I, I think um, um, one, that woman Aiken. who just... Hold on. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, the woman who just uh, won in uh, Iowa, Jody, Jody Ernst. Ernst. Uh, she had said something like, I haven't seen any proven proof. Uh, okay, mm. redundancy in terms, right? But Bill Maher just jumped all over that and said, what, because you're, because you're an idiotic idiot. Right? This, is, this is how he talks about conservatives. Never mind, you know, and he was talking about the concept of, in, in the context of um, that these people, these Republican senators are not big fans of global warming, and that, that we should fight global warming. And, and these, this is horrible what they're failing to do, that they want to let the planet die, as it were. So he doesn't spend any time explaining why their thinking is wrong. He instead attacks every single one of these people uh, personally. 
with the grammar, you know, you can always screw up with grammar. I, I'm sure that if you replay this and we were to transcribe this podcast, uh, you would find at least 57 grammatical mistakes that I made throughout this podcast. Okay? That, that, that's, that's clear. And, uh, and if I were to write it down at the same time, I'd probably make as many spelling mistakes too, but there's no spelling mistakes when we're doing a podcast like this. But the point is that this is all they have. And, and if you're a liberal, is this what you find yourself doing? If, if it is, then maybe liberalism is not such a strong ideology after all. Yeah, if all they have is attacking people's Twitter typos. That's right. Perhaps, and, and really, I, I, I encourage you, and many of you have responded to the call, to email me from this podcast or call me on my Sunday show and tell me why conservatism fails. Just tell me why. Now, I'm going to, because it is a podcast, I'm going to offer a, a thing that I think is on every liberal's mind, and they're just itching to tell everyone. And, and here's, the, here's their challenge to us. Well, Barack and Ari, in 2008, 2009, we had a, a big financial meltdown, thanks to the greed of Wall Street. That's your capitalism for you. That's conservatism. And that, my friend, has failed. Because look at all the terrible consequences of your greedy capitalism. Okay, maybe you won't phrase it that way, but they'll—that's the way. I've heard them phrase it. Yeah, they've that phrased way. it more or less like that. Yeah. And and uh, of course, the response to that is obvious. For, uh, and and I, I'm, I'm happy for you to jump in, but the the main thing is that this was the result of a series of regulations that the government has in, had imposed, where they re- required required banks to engage in these extremely risky loans. And then it all fell apart. And then when it all fell apart, then they blamed the banks. Suddenly, uh, Barney Frank and and all the the, the Democrats who had supported these wildly loose and demanding regulations um, were suddenly not involved whatsoever in the process. They never touched anything, and and they get to point to the banks and to Wall Street. Well, even more importantly and more clearly, they point towards free market capitalism. Yeah. Meanwhile, the reality of it is it was the opposite of free market That's capitalism right. that caused the problem. Capitalism is great. It would have been wonderful had they tried it. Yeah. I wonder. That's right. They, but they, as they, they say, someone might get hurt. Right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, there, there are many markets that are not truly uh, yeah. free market. Yeah. Not even truly. Uh, one example is uh, even before Obamacare, the medical world was not a free market system by any stretch. Um, it, it didn't have a rubric called Obamacare or something like that, but it was not, by any stretch of the imagination, a truly free market operation. It was ridiculous. It was a patchwork of uh, where, where insurance and everything actually ended up raising the cost of medical care to ridiculous proportions. And when it got to that point, uh, the liberals got to say, hey, look, this is ridiculous. It's actually very similar to the whole financial crisis now that I think about it. They create these system of rules that, in fact, interfere with capitalism, the natural flow of capitalism. It creates all sorts of cacophony and increased expense and uh, worse service. And then they say, we've got to fix this with a, yet another uh, government takeover. This is, what they, this is how they yeah, think. Yeah, they distort the market and then claim the market is the problem, right. not the distortion. Right, and then, then you apply, as a rubric of, over all that, the year zero mentality that my good friend Ari David uh, have, has advanced, and they, 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 they never ask the question, well, how was it like before? 
these regulations. What, what was the reason why it got to this point in the first place? Oh, that's right, because of all our crazy regulations. Maybe we should retreat from the regulations instead of advancing more, regula- more regulations. Yeah, and what do nations look like that have the kind of regulations yeah. that are similar to Obamacare? How is Sweden? How is uh, you know, the United Kingdom? How is Cuba? Are these really things you want to look at for emulation yeah. rather than things that you should run away from? <laughs> it, you know, but, but that's where the, the, the main argument, I think, within conservatism that has to take place in the next few years has to be, which is, you remember that commercial that said, is it live or is it Memorex? Sure. Is, it, is liberalism accidental or is it deliberate? And I'm clearly in the deliberate camp. I think critical theory, the year zero ideas, all of those things are too... There is no coincidence. It is too often the case that these things come in and are so distortions of, of reality that there's no way to say they don't know better. It's just accidental. Well, the, the, but the problem is that they need a bunch of minions to advance their cause. Um, but, you know, the, the liberals will say the same thing about us. They'll say that, uh, that uh, we, we've got a bunch of yokels who are supporting everything that the evil Bush and uh, Cheney types are advancing. Um, and that uh, we're being fooled, fooled, don't you know, into conservatism. But here's where that, that theory fails, right? Because we have history. We have the year 1789 through 1929 as such an emblematic time of innovation and growth that liberalism never has matched. And liberalism put the kibosh uh, on it, and, and they hear the word, they, they hear the year 1929, and they say, "Oh, yeah, the Great Depression, the Great Depression." Well, yeah, it wouldn't have been the Great Depression had you simply let the market move on its merry way and correct itself, and it w- we would have been out of the depression in 1930. It would have, it would have taken six months. Yeah, just, just leave it alone. But instead, they just picked on that scab to the point that it became the Great Depression, thanks very much to a gentleman named Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Yeah, and before Bold him, experimentation. That's yeah, what we need. And, and before him, the Smoot-Hawley law. Let's put tariffs and oh, taxes on everything. That's right. And let's sign that into law. And then things get worse. And then Roosevelt gets elected on the, uh, the, the desperation the American people felt. And if he was such a great extricator of us from financial ruin, why did it take World War II before... <laughs> it's, I, I, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Now, there's one other thing that I think sort of dovetails to this that I want to see. Okay, see but, our, but our point is, and I want to hear your point, Ari, but the, the, the point is that we're really desperately trying to, uh, you know, have a self, we, sorry, we, we want to do some self-reflection. We want to be able to argue the best arguments against our own position. We, like we just heard Ari and I just talking about what a liberal will say about you know, how conservatism doesn't work somehow. And, but we, we do have history on our side. And, and, I, and I pose this question to every liberal I, I can say, where has liberalism worked? Just tell it. I mean, not just a liberal policy. Just tell us whenever has it worked. You know, it may feel good, but that doesn't mean that's working. Okay, that those are two very different things, right? And, uh, you know, all the, all the great liberal movements, whether it's Franklin Delano Roosevelt or um, uh, Johnson or now Obama, I won't put even Clinton in there because Clinton wasn't a, wasn't a true liberal in every sense. Uh, but but the, the, the true believers, they, they led the country to ruin. I mean, you can't possibly say 
that things were great as a result of these three men. You forgot Carter. Oh, yeah, Carter. Right. Well, he's... Yeah, meaning every time this was done, ruin followed. Yeah. Terrible dislocations. Why do they think it's going to work this time? I I, I don't get it. I mean, the only reason why Clinton was successful is because he he didn't do liberalism. He he advanced conservatism. He he didn't advance it. He he embraced it on the sly. I have a a better description that, uh, see if you like how I describe Clinton. He was a political animal who craved political power, so he didn't blow his wad on liberal policy at the expense of his own political career. Right. He showed a certain amount of restraint to not impose every liberal policy and the kitchen sink all at once, which invariably turns people off. Because one thing connected to Gruber's statements last week is he talks about how stupid the American people are. More accurately, they're just trusting in that they see the best in people, and they assume if you're an elected official who comes into office saying, we want to make people's lives better who suffer economically, most American people don't conclude immediately, uh, well, that guy must be a con artist. Yeah. And the, but after three elections, in fact, one election into 2010, the American people showed how not stupid they were. And again, 2014, they really showed how not stupid they are. It was, it was provable that they're not naive once they see truly with overwhelming incontrovertible evidence that uh, the con artists in office are trying to rip them off. Yeah. So saying someone is, is stupid when they're just good-hearted is just a malicious personal attack on them. Right. Look, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I, but the bottom line of all this is that conservatism works. Right? I mean, that's, that's really where we are. And if, it, if conservatism did not work, we would be liberals. And if liberalism worked, you know, we wouldn't be conservatives. This is, this is what we came to the conclusion of. And, and, and many of our liberal listeners, they've been liberal all their lives. They've never entered into the fray of conservatism. We've entered into the fray and the ideology and the thought, thought process of liberalism. And we've, we have found it very wanting there was something terribly lacking in liberalism. And then, at some point, you realize it's all a shell game. It's all a, a pretense to get power. It's all about power. And it's, it's not much different. It is slightly different, but it's not much different than Vladimir Lenin during the days of the early Bolshevik Revolution, who saw his people as useful idiots. And don't be a useful idiot, my friend. You are better than that. This is Brucklery. This has been the Brucklery Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you real soon.